0: The Lord be with you. And also with you. So we got new microphone stuff. Trying to get everything ready for Pastor Barton's. So I was, I was fully expecting this not to work, based on everything else that's been breaking microphone-wise. Uh, today we're going to jump back into Luke 11 with a green handout that you. I see some green handouts out there. Um, there's more over at the table. Last time we were on the uh, we were wrapping up Jesus' teaching on prayer with the um, with the best children's message ever. Like, what, what father among you, whose son asks for a fish, would give him a snake? <laughs> uh, no ones. Remember how the idea, the basic idea, as we were talking about prayer last week, was the the child is is to ask for whatever, whenever, shamelessly because the child loves dad and knows that dad loves him and just asks repeatedly, abundantly, shamelessly. And then the Lord gives according to his will and according to his knowledge of what is actually best for the prayer. So in, this, in, the, in, the, in the parable, uh, which, which in chapter 11, verse uh, 11 and 12, Luke 11 11 and 12, you've got Jesus giving this this weird thing of like, what, if there's a kid who asks for a, a snake or asks for a fish and God gives him a snake, well, in some, especially in some contexts, I mean, I'm not sure if this is even what Jesus had in mind, but if you, in the water, like if you've seen like a, a big, some of these fish can be long, like silvery flashing or like in the water, like in Mississippi, we have our, our pond down there. The catfish will be like, in some cases, like two, three feet long. And when they come up shallow and they're kind of swirling in the water, they look a lot like snakes. Either way, we're going to shoot it with a shotgun and sometimes we eat it. But, uh, but for, the, for the prayer and, and, the Lord's, and the Lord's teaching of it here, it's that I know that I'm asking the Lord for something that is good and safe. And what he gives me, ah, this looks a lot like a snake, Lord. This looks like something that is not good for me and yet as jesus is teaching us sometimes it might not look exactly like we had in mind but he in fact knows what is best for us and he's giving us what is in fact good even if we don't agree with that is that not how we approach all the terrible things of this life all the suffering that we endure all the challenges that we endure We're constantly praying to avoid those very things. And at the same time, we're also praying for when those things inevitably come, I say inevitably not to be a pessimist, but a realist, whenever suffering, death, hardship, whenever these things do come, we're asking the Lord for the the peace and the faith of knowing that He's giving us what is in fact good for us. Because even death itself, not is death not overcome so the very worst thing that can happen to us in this world death is only the entrance into everlasting life so the lord by his death has taken the very worst that the world can throw at us and transformed it into in fact a good thing now it's not good death is in fact bad but you see what he's done by his death has enabled us to see it now as this seeming snake is in fact a fish because Jesus ate all the snakes. Is that Kerry? Maybe not. So as that ends in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then are e- who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Um, so if you're on your handout, it's the top, it's the end of that top box. That's where we, we wrapped up last week. So Jesus is talking about prayer, but he's, he's really leading up toward this, asking for the Holy Spirit. Like that's the good thing that we're supposed to be praying for. Think of all the good gifts that come to us through the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, what, do we, what else do we not have? Faith we don't have faith, what else do we not have? Salvation, Salvation itself. And the, the faith to endure whatever else comes. The faith to pray, thy will be done, right? So it is in fact the Holy Spirit that helps us endure everything else. But that is ultimately the, the good thing that he's asking us to pray for. In the, in, in, in the context of ask for whatever you want, ask and it will be open to you. Or I tell you, ask, Post-it notes blocking it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For whoever one who asks receives, and who seeks finds, and who knocks will be open. This is like all this givingness, but like the, the most the most vivid and most important example that the Lord comes up with is if you're asking for stuff. Really, the main thing you want to be asking for is the Holy Spirit. Like that's the main thing, and you'll notice. You'll see it in, the, um, in a lot of the prayers of the church. You probably don't catch it because you've heard it so many times. The, the prayer of the church is always praying for the Holy Spirit, usually in the context of something else. Grant us your Holy Spirit so that by, uh, by, your, by your wisdom or by your gifting, we'd be able to endure the challenges of this world. Or it's always like, and hey, grant us your Holy Spirit. Always praying for the Holy Spirit. It comes from this, where Jesus is telling us to, to pray for the Holy Spirit. Now, having wrapped up prayer and and finished with this holy spirit, the good spirit, we're now getting into Beelzebul, evil spirits. So the pericope there before you on your handout, uh, Jesus and Beelzebul. Now he, Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters all right so verse we'll jump down to So we got a mute man he's cast a demon out of this mute guy and now the man who's formerly mute speaks verse 15 some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul which comes from the word basically Prince of Baal Prince of Baal, Baal so the main the main false god of the Old Testament and in the culture that day, it's, they associate, especially in the Jewish context, they're associating Baal with the devil himself. And Jesus himself comes back and he says, Satan. Verse 18, Jesus says, and if Satan also is divided against himself, so he's making that connection. While Beelzebub has whatever contextual connotations that the Jews have in mind, Jesus is just pressing the point. False spirits, ultimately it's, the devil, right? So as church lady says, could it be Satan? Let's see. While others, to test him, verse 16, that's the same word, by the way, in Luke 4, when the devil comes up to Jesus to put him to the test. It's the same Greek word there. To test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls." Which makes sense. It doesn't make, like, logically, if they're accusing, they just follow that through. It's pretty self-explanatory, but if Jesus is casting out demons, he's casting out the devil by the power of the devil, what, earth, what sense does that make? Like, why would I be casting out demons by the power of the demons themselves? If that's the case, then the entire satanic empire is collapsing in upon itself, and what are you guys complaining about? Just let it happen. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because you guys are going around casting out demons too. So are they part of the demons as well? Therefore, they will be your judges. Your own sons who are casting out demons are judging you for what you're blaming me for. Now we're getting to the point here. And this is very profound teaching of the devil and the work of the devil in in this latter part. Verse 20, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God is is seen in the Old Testament, especially at the, the plagues in Egypt. This is the finger of God, right? So they're always associating these marvelous acts with the finger of God. Wherever God's finger is, oh, unless you've endured some kind of an accident, (laughs) wherever you find your finger, what else do you find? The rest of you. (laughs) Ideally. (laughs) Right? So if the finger of God has come upon them, what else has come upon them? The kingdom of God itself. so it is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And where is the kingdom? We talked about this before. Like, especially in in these, like, in this era, even all these back in the Middle Ages, wherever the king goes, he's either a captive, and in which case, if you cap- if you, as we learn from chess, if you captured the king, what's over? The game is over, right? But when the king advances in enemy territory, what is expanding? The kingdom. So when the king comes into, our, into this world, the Lord's kingdom is advancing. So wherever the kingdom goes, the, Lord's, the, the kingdom of God has come upon you. What is being chased out? The opposing kingdom, which is the kingdom of Satan. So that's the context here. The kingdom, of, the kingdom of God has come upon you, which is chasing out the evil spirits. Now get this, verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe so who is the strong man in the context here the devil okay fully armed what does that mean how would the devil be fully armed when you're thinking about armor the armor is going to be determined by what what determines the kind of armor that you have if I'm a if I'm a a person who fights primarily in the ocean, am I gonna be wearing a lot of lead? No, but if I'm, if I'm, if I'm gonna be facing up against archers or swordsmen, I'm probably gonna be wearing some heavier stuff. So what's determining the kind of armor that I have? The nature of the battle, the nature of the war. So let's think, so if we're talking about the devil, the strong man, What's his armor? What's his battle? Let's start there. What's the battle of the devil? What's he trying to do? A battle against the word. Against God's word? Or what's the end goal? What's, his, what's the devil's end goal according to this? What, how does, what are his goods that he's keeping in his palace? Everybody. Souls. Exactly. Souls apart from Christ. So how does he get them? Lies. Satan, the father of lies. Also, what does Satan mean? Accuser. Satan is a deceiver. Let's say he deceived Adam and Eve. But his his essential power, and the power of all the demons, is ultimately to accuse. And this, this is going to become very significant here, just as it does on like St. Michael and all angels, we remember how Jesus is talking about the devil being cast out of heaven. Like what is that, how does that work? When a strong man, the devil, fully armed with whatever his armor is, which would be his deceptions and accusations. Accusations about what? Are accusations powerful? Well, it depends on what? If they're true, certainly. The truth, the validity of the accusations. What else? Am I gonna, if, uh, if Dominic Salvino, head elder, accuses me of something, are we gonna, are you, how are you gonna, think about how you're gonna process that compared to how if some random person in my neighborhood who's never like me because I don't have a coexist sticker in my yard or whatever it is and they're accusing me of something you're likely to maybe roll your eyes or the authority of the accuser, the authority of the accuser? exactly why would this be valid right so with, wrapped into this, fully, this strong man who's fully armed, we've got this, this accusing guy who's got a lot of power to accuse. Does the devil not know the sins that you've committed? Are you, in fact, guilty of the sins you've committed? Yes. Yeah. So does he have the, in a way, he's got the proper authority to accuse. He certainly has the knowledge. He's not wrong. And so him simply bringing the accusation is what he's doing in the heavenly throne room. That's what he does to us and to Job. He comes up to God. These people deserve hell. They belong to me. Because if they really believed in you, God, they wouldn't be doing everything that they're doing, everything that you're confessing when we, when we confess our sins. If we really had faith, we wouldn't do those things. The devil brings his accusation, and he keeps the souls in his palace. Now, where is, where is this? Where is the palace? So we think usually like the context of the devil's palace would be in contrast to the heavenly palace, right? It's usually how they're portrayed in cartoons. You've got the heaven and really the the text of the, the rich man and Lazarus kind of give us two images of a heavenly location and a hell location. And yet, how high do you have to go into sky to get to heaven? Remember when Pastor Melius was here, we kind of talked about this, the nature of the spiritual realm. And we, we can't even comprehend heaven without giving it a location, which is an idea that's actually bound to our earthly, temporal, material existence. So we're having, we really have a lot of trouble comprehending the lo- location of heaven. Um... And so we're also able to say that heaven is wherever, wherever Jesus is, which is why when we have the Lord's Supper and you gather around these, these very like, simple means of bread and wine, we actually are confessing to be in the presence of angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven. Why? Because the king is here. So wherever the the king is, now we also have the picture in Revelation of the heavenly throne rooms coming down onto the new creation, having the new earth. But right now, we don't have the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. So right now, it's this, this spiritual idea of heaven that we have trouble wrapping our minds around. Well, same with hell. Where is it? What's the palace? Well, I would make the case that Satan's stronghold is in the human heart. That's where the conscience is attacked. That's where we are accused, where, our, where the, the devil brings his accusations against you within our own consciences. So that's the, from a certain perspective, that's his palace where the devil's kind of in there guarding it, trying to keep this, this is my soul, this is my person that I've hijacked. But when one who is stronger than he, but when one stronger than he attacks him, and overcomes him, he takes away his armor which he in which he trusted and divides his spoil." So who's the stronger one? Jesus, who attacks him. Now, this is one of the brilliant ways of the way that Jesus is constantly flipping the way we would expect things. When we think of conqueror, it's I mean, just in envision that in your in your mind in every movie ever it's like you gotta have whoever's got the bigger weapons or the better strategy or more more armor the, the taller horse the victor rides in on the horse when Jesus the picture this this wonderful picture of Jesus overcoming the devil starts with what picture a baby in a manger which to totally insult the devil and, and really flips the ways of this world. The Lord Jesus who, comes, who becomes incarnate like a man as a baby. And then the ultimate victory, as you say, what's the ultimate victory? The cross. D- death. Which again, it's the worst that we can imagine in, in our human lives. And yet he takes the worst, the lowest, the weakest, and it flips it to the very thing that undoes the devil. Now get this, think back. What does Jesus accomplish by his death on the cross? Overdoing what? Just Overcoming death and the devil is what we say, but basically stepping into Very good, so let's, let's sit on that for a second. We say that he overcame the devil by the cross, right? So when that's the catechismal language. Sin, death, and the devil, the big three, right? So, uh, so how does the cross overcome the devil? So what is Jesus, by his death on the cross, what is he doing there? What's happening? Invalidating the Not invalidating. They're still valid. They're, they're, they're given to, us, given to, to him. So the accusation stands true, but no longer about you and me, right? So he takes upon himself, this is the Luther's great exchange, all of our sin for which we are truly guilty is taken upon him and all of his holiness is given then to us. So, so the primary power that the devil had, think back to his, army, his armor and the battle and everything he's trying to do, it's bound up to our sin and our personal guilt for our sin. So when Jesus takes our sin upon himself and the guilt of our sin, and even pays the penalty for that sin by his death on the cross, which by the way, it wasn't simply his death on the cross that paid for the sins. What was the main, what was the main thing that's happening on the cross? Being forsaken by God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is Jesus experiencing hell on the cross in our place. Now, because He's God, He's able to do it in three hours, what would be otherwise an eternity. Well, He is eternity incarnate, so it kind of flips things. So Jesus takes all of the hell that we deserve upon Himself. So He's taken our sin; He's taken the punishment for our sin. So now. Think back to what was the primary weapon that the devil is using against us. What's the main thing that he needed to have power against or toward us? Our sin. So when the sin is removed, what power does the devil have? He's rendered impotent, for lack of a better word. The teeth have been stripped, right? That's the biblical imagery. Death, death, where is your sting? What happens to a a bee that loses its stinger? Dies. So the devil, death, stings Jesus, and dies. So now we got the strong man. So Jesus, who comes, unlike the strong man that we'd expect, takes away his armor by forgiving the sins. He's, he's, take, he's, ripped him, he's ripped out of his hands everything, all the power that he had by forgiving his sins. And then, so that's kind of the, the bookend on that. And then he has this one verse that I, I think kind of hangs out with its own theme, especially in our context. Verse 23, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So remember, he's talking about, in the context, casting out demons. So those who are out there casting out demons are on my team. But the thing is, if you're not with me, you're necessarily against me. What room is there for neutrality? None. But think, how does that go over in today's world? (laughs) This This is... one of the stumbling blocks for our, for our generation this day is that we have a God who is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're not with me, you're, you're not just out there on your own, but you're actually against, right? So that's why we are always careful like when we're evaluating, well to use a really practical example, it'd be like the curriculum of our kids. In their schools our own curriculum here in our day school we're careful to analyze these things because we realize that it's not like there's a neutral worldview so think about it like what what is the Christian worldview how does it start because we're created what's the main problem sin what's the solution to the main problem Jesus what's the end of the story the return of christ the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting that's not just our worldview it is truth it is reality but so someone says okay we, we need to set that whole worldview aside and we're going to put forth an essential fundamental education for your child that's going to avoid worldviews what how what would that worldview be how, what what would the teaching be that what would, what would how would you start that curriculum? How is there order? What is the beginning of the story? Well, if the beginning, so if if I've set aside the Christian worldview, for example, and I have to come up with what's the beginning of the story, what what does that do to your meaning of life, your purpose of life, the reason for existence? If you're merely an accident, a byproduct of an accidental explosion, Why are we surprised when guys are taking up guns and just mowing people down because they got upset about something? Or even if they're not upset about something, because they played too many video games in junior high or whatever it is. We should not be surprised, because there is no point. Because there's also no end of the story. What's the repercussions upon me? I just kill a bunch of people, take my own life, the end. So when, when the world is going completely haywire, it's because we're saying, okay, what we're going to do is we're going we're to raise up people apart from any spiritual di- dimension and try to come up with some sense of purpose and meaning in a universe with, with what? A theory of evolution, which necessitates what? How does somebody get stronger in, in evolutionism? You have to kill somebody else. So according to evolutionism, the strong are actually the killers. So we, why we we teach people, we're teaching kids this entire worldview based upon the survival of the fittest, the death of the weak, and then we're surprised when somebody takes up a gun and mows people down. You taught them to do it, right? But that's the that's the if that's if that's kind of this that's the neutral. Curriculum. We're not teaching kids to go kill people. We're not gonna teach them to believe in Jesus. We're not gonna teach them about a creator and all that stuff. But we're also not, we're not gonna give them the Quran. Don't worry, pastor. We're not, we're not teaching the kids that there is no God. We're just not gonna talk about religion. Instead, we're just gonna talk about science, which by the way, is things that can be evaluated and measured and repeat, test experiments that can be repeated. That's science. Have you ever seen creation? Have you ever seen the Big Bang cre- repeated, tested, examined? No, it is a blindly trusted theory. So one might call it faith in what is not seen. So it is not neutral. And that's the point here. It's like the, the idea, what we're up against is, is stuff that masquerades in the neutral position to our families, to our children, right? It's like no one likes watching TV with a pastor. Your, your family's probably the same way, Emmett. Like you can't, I can't sit by and, and watch Frozen. For example, I got a few punches in a Frozen in the sermon this morning. Like you can't, they're, they're not overtly saying there's no Jesus and yet they're pushing agendas. I mean now Disney has straight up come out and said they're pushing agendas. Thankfully that kind of got blown out. I mean you guys guys should, if you haven't seen that, you should just like YouTube uh, Disney woke agendas or something like that and you just see plenty of the these videos of the administration within Disney saying that they're trying to push these sexually confused agendas upon children they're, they're trying to do it There's not that's not neutral that's an intentional whoever's not for me is against me now that's not saying like we're trying to be like i don't know mean to everybody we're, we're certainly not we just want to be aware that when somebody is not for jesus we have to understand that while they're not maybe coming out with their guns blazing against jesus how is this, how is there a neutral position here? It's necessarily in opposition. Because if you're saying, well, I'm not going to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not going to say he's not, but I'm also not going to say he is. Well, if you're not going to say he is, you're, you're necessarily saying that he's not. See? And so everything, but think about the way that we get through life. I mean, you can't there's no morality. What's the reason for any morality at all? This is the problem of our culture. Morality now is defined by, not what the Lord has said good and evil are, or any kind of even objective good and evil that we could come up through with natural law. What determines good and evil to our culture now? Well, uh, so it's, it's bound up with equity. So um, even the idea that equity should be involved in the conversation. It's popular opinion. That's why, like with the whole abortion debates, it's, I forget who said it, if it was Biden or one of the, one of the justices who gave the dissenting opinion on the abortion ruling, was like, you have to be, we have to be more receptive to the, to the voice of the masses. As if that's the determining factor in morality. Right, because my opinion is no better or worse than yours. Right. Well, a collect, it's the collective opinion, the majority collective opinion, mind you, is the determining factor for what is good and what is evil. So if that's it, if that's all we're left with, then it's just a matter of time before whatever everybody wants is more, whatever opinion is more popular. And what's more fun, sin or not sin? Well, in the short run, what's the obvious promise of the devil? Of course it's sin is good now what's helpful about getting older is the more you've the more the devil has come at you with certain promises with the allures of temptations like I me mean, even think about Eve to put the best construction on Eve so so for the, the devil comes and says try this fruit it's, it's delicious it's a it's good to the eye and you'll have you'll be like God knowing good and evil and she she got duped now, even though she's now fallen into sin and her will is corrupted and everything about her has now fallen into sin, you think the devil came up, if the, if the devil were to come up to her again and try the same thing, he, she might actually, let just think that through. So is there a situation where she might have been duped again? Maybe, I mean, certainly so. She fell into sin again and again, other situations. But in that same situation, There's something about having gone through that sin that she learns something. And she'll at least maybe hesitate next time before she does that particular thing. So the older you get, the more you've been duped. It's not that you've learned, well, I've tried that sin. I'm not interested in it anymore. But the problem is with sin always comes these very practical repercussions, And so you've kind of learned over the course of your life that while this devil, this this sin is dangled out in front of me with some kind of promise that it's not going to have a negative consequence, you finally learn that, oh, God's given me the Ten Commandments to protect me from myself. Because ultimately, while sin masquerades as being this thing, it's not going to hurt me, it will hurt me. There will be consequences that I even can't foresee right now. And you finally start to get that when you're on your deathbed, and even then the devil's coming up you with even still different accusations and different attempts, right? Anyway, any we cover a lot of ground there. Let's take some questions. I was just gonna say that so once the devil tempts you and you fall into sin, he almost owns you because of the guilt that he places on you. So you're tempted again, to start to run through this in your mind that, all right, I've already done it once, so you know. Exactly. Well, and that's actually the like the the floodgates of sin. It's, it's ultimately why we try to we, we try to encourage the youth to to not make certain mistakes outside of marriage, right? Because what happens is, like, what started as a one-time thing. Oh, well, I've done it once. I might as well just let it go, like Elsa would say. <laughs> and. So there's nothing to hold back at that point. And then just sin just kind of run rampant. My heart then, I mean, the biblical language is my heart is made hardened against that sin. And it doesn't even bother a person anymore. So there are certain sins that you might struggle with. And that's problematic. And those are the sins that you confess to the Lord when you come to church. But the sins that He's hardened your heart against are the ones that you actually are in denial about. That you, you easily maybe see in others, but you don't, you don't even recognize in yourself. It's the stuff that when someone accuses you about it, you get all mad, right? That's the, that's the stuff that we've been doing so often. Our hearts are completely hardened and we don't see it anymore. Um, so yeah, in that sense, in that way, the devil, that's his, the armor. In our, and it's the battle in our conscience, to harden our conscience against sin again and again. But then this is the, what's helpful though, is that despite the hardness of our hearts, the hammer of the Lord's law is stronger still. So the preaching of the Lord's word still does what God wants it to do upon even the, hard, the hardest of hearts, shattering the conscience, turning us back to the Lord, and ultimately setting free. I mean, the gospel, it's almost like it's meant to be preached as being too easy. That's the gospel, completely like, that's the Good Samaritan. I can't, I'm can't. i dead on the side of the road. I can't do anything. Jesus does everything. Well, that's too easy. Well, yeah. Isn't that great? That's the gospel. But that it's that preaching of that gospel is actually the thing that brings forth life in the new man to, to help me serve and love my neighbor and resist the devil. Because ultimately, giving in to the devil isn't ultimately hurting the devil. It's hurting me and everybody else. Right? So I'm... That's, the, that's ultimately, that's the prayer of the Holy Spirit too, to be strengthened against the attacks of the devil, to, to, for the Lord to, to keep me mindful of the, of the repercussions of my sin in the midst of temptation, that I would be strengthened against it. And when we do fall into temptation, that the Lord would bring us repentance and forgiveness. And that's why the forgiveness of sins is also given so freely. There's never contingencies unless you're Roman Catholic. You're, this is the, this is the I mean, Some of you have grown up Roman Catholic, I know. But like, so if, if I'm Catholic, the idea is absolution, forgiveness is given to me on the contingency of the sincerity of my confession. And the sincerity of my confession is proven by me attaining whatever the, whatever the priest prescribes as my penance, because if I was really sorry, then I would prove it. And so you can try to prove it, but then in your heart, you're like, if I was really sorry, why did I do the same thing again? And so I'm left looking at myself, despairing. And the devil's like, excellent. (laughs) For you Simpsons fans out there. But that's helpful, yeah. Good. I don't know if I ended, it wasn't even a question really. Any other comments or thoughts on this? This demon stuff, devil? This is going to come up big, like in St. Michael and All Angels, we remember. Um, I think it's in like September 21st or something is where we remember St. Michael and All Angels where the devil is the devil is thrown out of heaven by St. Michael. And there's, there's some confusing imagery there. some of it's from Revelation. But the important thing to remember is, as we think about the devil being cast out of heaven, where is that taking place? Where is it? When is that? So we remember the devil was thrown out of heaven before even the fall into sin. So somewhere maybe in the midst of creation, you get the devil who's thrown down to the earth to, to be ultimately the snake that we that would encounter Eve. But Jesus talks about it even in the more present tense. I saw as he's talking to his disciples, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And that's, after the, that's right after the disciples come back to him and say, hey, we're casting out demons in your name. And then that's when Jesus says, like, I saw, I just saw it. I saw the devil cast down from heaven. So here, to to, to get to my point, the devil is thrown out of heaven every time your sins are forgiven. Because the devil is always trying to be in heaven, which, by the way, isn't some nebulous place. It's in your own conscience, bringing his accusation, reminding you of sin, trying to bring you to despair. And it comes... And I've, I, we'll wrap up here in just a second. And I've told you this, I've told you this story a couple of times now. That there was this old lady in a nursing home. I always remember when I was a, like a second year seminarian, she was like 90, she celebrated like her 99th birthday or something. She was very old, very sick, and, and clearly about to die. And I, I came into the room and, and introduced myself, and she asked me to pray for her. She, she prayed that God won't be mad at me anymore. And they're like, why would God be mad at you? And she said, because I can't do anything. I'm stuck in this bed. I can't do anything for him anymore. So she's pointing. So who's given her that idea, by the way? Who's, so here she is, this really sweet lady. Who knows how, what a wonderful life she probably led, whatever. But now in her moments as she's approaching death, she's pointed back to herself, searching for evidence of a reason for salvation. And now I can't find it because I can't do anything good. So I have nothing good to look at in myself for certainty of salvation. And I'm freaking out. I need something to look at. So that's the, the devil coming and having her and us rip our eyes off of the cross and fixing our eyes on ourselves. In our own works our own lives how have you been spending your time how have you been spending your money how have you, what have you been doing online or whatever the things are like whatever the accusation is when we look at our life we're going to find reasons to despair and so as a writer of hebrews says let us fix our eyes not on ourselves but let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith the one who only dies for sinners because they can't save themselves and that's the constant we're, and then, So we have hear the forgiveness of sins, and then we return to our temptations, and we fix our eyes back on our lives, and we're robbed of comfort. And the Lord calls us back in repentance and faith to turn us back to Him. That's the rhythm of the Christian life until we die, says Paul in Romans 7. The, sinner, the sin that I don't want to do, I keep doing, and the good that I know I should be doing, I don't do. So we're constantly praying for strength in that fight. And He's always calling us back. That's why we have the Lord's Supper as often as we can. That's why we're always forgiving sins. Like, didn't I just get my sins forgiven last week? Yeah. Pastor Mia, if you boil down, the the confirmands finally figure this out by the time they're confirmed. The sermons are really the same thing because the problem is always the same. It's that we we approach it from different perspectives, but the basic idea is the same. And the kids finally get it and they're like, I wasn't paying attention to the sermon, but I can write these few sentences. And we're like... All right, good enough. (laughs) Because you get it. Because we're coming as as the people who are exposed to the devil and all of his temptations every week, the same way, and we come back with our dirty shoes every week and the Lord cleanses us inside and out, forgives our sins, pours his holiness upon us, puts his name upon us and sends us out. And we do serve and love and show mercy in our families and communities and so forth. But also... As soon as we look at ourselves, we also can quickly find our sin as well. So we never run out of things to repent of and be forgiven of. So we're, we're, we're called back to the Lord to have forgiveness. Any other comments or questions there? Well, that's enough. So, we'll, so return of the unclean spirit next week, verse 24. We'll pick up there. And... Um, we might even be able to finish chapter 11, hopefully, next week. So how many weeks can I squeeze out of the same handout, you think? <laughs> They're starting to get like really wrinkly. Um, but no, it's good, I like to slow down and chew on it. And we'll be able to, what I'm really excited to get to is the, the very last section, verse 37 and following where Jesus goes after the Pharisees. Is that on this handout, the woe to the Pharisees? Oh, no, okay, good. Well, mine is ready just in case. I'll make a new handout for you for next time. No other comments, remember today at 4.30 will be the ordination installation of Pastor Barton's. Um, if you haven't seen an ordination, it's, it's a, I've only been to one, my own. They don't occur that often, especially, unfortunately, as we're always praying for more workers in the venue, we're praying for more pastors. There's not as, there's not as many pastors, so it's not as many ordinations. So uh, it's kind of a cool thing. You hear all the institutional passages about the office of the ministry, and then you get to hear the pastoral vows. It's basically a checklist of all the things that you accuse me of not doing good enough. <laughs> uh, so it comes to the pastor as law, but it's what the pastor is vowing to, to do. And then also the people give a vow as well, but they're vowing to be hearers of God's word, supporting of the church, supporting of the pastor. And then, then we have the Lord's Supper again, and then we come in here and enjoy the wonderful decorations that have been set up for us. So join us for that if your schedule allows. If you can't make it 4.30, come at 5.30. You'll be in time for the sermon probably. <laughs> or come at 6 in time for the Lord's Supper. Or 6.30 in time for barbecue. No one's going to judge you. We'll have plenty of food. The Lord be with you.